The following sermon is brought to you by ThePreachersVault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. I suppose a few of you are more like I am, and that is you place upon yourself extremely high expectations. Maybe it's your work, your careers, your jobs. Maybe it's the attention you give to your children or spouses or family members. And maybe it's just what you do for recreation or enjoyment. But you, like I do, you may place an extremely high expectation upon yourself. Something I've come to know outside from that, however, is many times the expectations we place upon ourselves are not nearly as lofty or high as what we place on other people. You know, we see other people around us. We see the way that they function, the way that they go through life, the things that they say and what they do. And when we see the way that they go about living their life, we simply expect more of them than they perhaps even do for themselves. And especially expect more of them than we do for ourselves. Now we realize to have that particular mindset is not necessarily right. To look down your nose upon someone else or to try to say that they ought to do things this way or that way because that's what you expect and only you alone, that's not fair to them and it's not right. But friends, it is the case that children of God's Christians, ought to live under a sense of a very high expectation. You realize when I speak of that, I'm talking about the expectations, not that I have of myself or of someone else, nor they toward me, but the expectation that God is laying upon us. Everything that we have attempted to do in life, even in light of His Son dying, every way that we try to go, God has expected us to do that and even more. God looks down on us by His own judgment, by His own ways, to which we may not comprehend nor understand. But we can always keep in our minds that God expects our best. Now, with that said, you're embarking on a change around here. You're embarking on, according to the plan at least, if the Lord wills, on next week, Brandon Braggett will be among you. He will be your official, if that's the case, if you want to call it that, located preacher. And I will tell you, and I have not discussed this at all, he would agree. He has high expectations for this church. He's not looking for this place to remain where it is. He's not looking for this place to be something it once was. He's looking for it to be the best that it can be in the eyes of God aside from what men want. And I think that's fair because God wills us to be our best and to expect the best of one another as children. I also realize there's another side to even that coin. And that is that you as members, I've heard the words nearly, not quoting this, but I've heard your references, I've heard your statements about Brandon and his ability and his talents or or whatever it is you've said about him. And I have come to know that you as a congregation expect a lot out of Brandon. And you should. Because if God endows a man with talent... To preach the gospel, I don't think there's anything else he ought to do. 
If he gives the man this holy writ, such as he's really given all of us, and allows us to take the time to study it, to take that which is endowed within it and express it to the masses, that's just what a man ought to do. But on both sides, do not ever expect more of him than God does. And Brandon will not expect more of you than God would in your case either. But I want to talk to you this morning for just a little while about high expectations. And really about lifting our expectations, not to our standards, but yea, to the standards of God. Take your Bibles, I know that you have them, open them with me, I'm going to familiar text. I like to say, Simple Sermon Save Souls. I would entitle this as my refrigerator sermon series because these are the types of things that are going to be so simplistic that I believe I should, you should, maybe uh, write these things down. Hang them on your refrigerator and be reminded because God has expectations. Open, if you would, to the book of Romans. When you get there, go to Romans chapter 12. You're going to be very, very familiar with this text. Uh, many of you in the audience could probably quote it if you chose to do that because we know this text. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, we're going to notice some high expectations God has for His children. In the first place, in the first verse, I want you to notice He has high expectations for us concerning our sacrificial presentation. Notice the words here. Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Watch the last phrase, which is near reasonable, I would say acceptable, and we'll come back to that, service. Now when you think about this sacrificial presentation that God expects of us, I want you to subdivide that in your mind just for understanding. Number one, I want you to consider with me what I would call the request. That first couple of words there, I, second word, beseech you, therefore, brethren, is a request. Now you say, now wait a minute. It is a request, and it is a request placed upon us by the Apostle Paul. Friends, Paul being a child of God, I believe Paul being the greatest Christian missionary, evangelist, who ever walked the face of this earth, and that's aside from Jesus, I believe Paul was that, if it were for only for that reason, and him being an apostle and having apostolic, if you will, authority, if for that reason alone I would listen if Paul spoke. One of the things I have to remind myself often, and I'm sharing this idea with you is, however, when you're reading what we know to be the inspired of God, you're not reading the mind of Paul. You're not reading the words of Paul. As a matter of fact, in this context, you're not reading the request of Paul. And so when you see the request for what it is, it is the picture of an apostle on his knees. Therefore, it is really a picture of the God of heaven who sits upon the circle of the universe on his knees and he's begging us. He's making a request concerning our sacrificial presentation. But the request is here, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Next of all, we see in that instance the reason. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Friends, why should we, and we haven't even got to it yet, why should I give my life up in a spiritual sense, give my life over physically even sometimes for the very cause of Christ? Because of His mercy. Friends, you've heard it said before in similar terms, and I won't expand upon it much because you have heard it. 
But you know as well as I do that based upon these scriptures and our lives, we need God's mercy more than we really need His grace. We need God's mercy certainly more than we need His justice and His judgment. We need God's mercy in that sense above everything in this life. And that's a good reason. A reason for sacrificially presenting myself before God is that I want, I desire, I need the mercy that God has offered. Now, we know and, and realize that the way that mercy was expressed more than any other way was in the simple death of His Son. And when Jesus walked to that cross, as He did, bearing that beam upon Him and dragging those things along behind Him perhaps, when He went to that cross, He went to the cross for me and you and not every man who would ever live, but every man who has ever lived. And that's nothing but mercy. God says, I beg of you, I request of you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that is the reason behind it. Then he tells us, and this is the meat of this particular verse, he says, by the mercy of God, that ye, that is you all, y'all in country speak, that ye all present your bodies a living sacrifice. Friends, that is the requirement. Again, as I've said before, and this is not the Sermon on the Mount. I know I preach a lot from the Sermon on the Mount. This is not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of simple suggestion. It's a matter of obligation. God says you need to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's His requirement. And there's no avoiding it. And when you think about the sacrifices, and again, they, these things are developed in God's Word as a whole, which we do not have the time to spend, but when you think about the sacrifices of God in all of the Old Testament, for example, every single one of those came from a dead animal. When those animals were brought down and they were brought and laid upon that altar and there were two flesh hooks that were placed upon that, today you could say the flesh hooks for us will be our love and our faith in God. When the flesh hooks bound that animal down to that altar and they began to take and cut the neck or cut the throat of that animal, it bled out. To a point that historians reported that there at the beneath of the Temple Mount, when you get the brook of Kidron, by the way, which Christ must have crossed to go up in the Garden of Gethsemane, that during certain times of the year, Passover and such as that, that during the days of atonement, that those waters were so filled with blood they were red. Christ stepped stone for stone across those waters. All of those sacrifices were dead. All of those sacrifices, by the way, also were offered from man toward God. God offered one toward man. And he begs of us, if you will, and not for an exchange, that's not the word, but he begs of us in reply to that, that we give our bodies. You say, well, is that to say, preacher, that I'm to lay my life down for Christ? Friends, if it comes to that, that's exactly what it is to say. But that's not what he desires. He says, I beseech you, I beg of you, I make request. By the mercies of God, yes, that's a reason. And I bring it upon you to present your bodies, if you will, a living sacrifice. That is his requirement, but that's not all that's here. He says, which is holy, that is also acceptable, which is also the perfect or complete will of God. You think about just the first term in that, the, the idea that our sacrifices are to be holy. 
That is what we do is to be separate and set apart from any other kind of sacrifice that could be offered. You see, there are some in the religious world that presenting themselves as a living sacrifice would imply a simple separation of themselves with their finances. Well, I gave to God, I gave to this good work, I've given of all that I have, and so therefore I've made a sacrifice. No, no, not in one sense. To others in the religious circles, you would say, well, a living sacrifice to God then, that's simply my time. You know, I have busted the doors of church buildings for decades and, and maybe as much as a half a century or better and I've been in those doors and in those pews and that was a sacrifice of my time. Friends, we have done God no wild favors by being here this morning. But we are here to serve Him. We are here to offer to Him what He has asked of us, what He has required of us and what He desires. Or to be holy, set apart. But he says this particular living sacrifice, which is in contrast to the dead ones, it's not only holy. He said this sacrifice is to be acceptable. Key words are the next two, though. Acceptable unto God. Do you realize the worship that we participated in already this morning, what we're a part of even now, as, as we learn of God's word, as we're commanded to do, that all of these services that we gather together by his commands to perform for him, all those things are accepted by him when they're true and right, but they may not be and are not accepted in the average by every man. We spend a lot of time, I have in my life, you have in yours, I'm sure, but you judge yourself, trying to please the men around us. Trying to be sure that what we've done is acceptable as far as morality goes. Well, God's laws of morality will make that possible. But we say, well, it's trying to be acceptable as far as ethics goes. It's trying to be acceptable as far as politics go. And on and on the list could draw out. But we need to be accepted of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul talks about the service and the things that he has done for God, which, by the way, the context will be uh, typically just the evangelistic efforts. And he says, that I might be accepted of God. What is that contrast? Being accepted by men. The acceptation by mankind may never exist. The acceptation by mankind will never matter, but being accepted by God will always and should always be the first and forefront of all of our minds and lives. Holy, be acceptable to God, which is, last phrase here, your reasonable service. Some translations look at that, and of course I would agree that it could be translated this way. They, they say that it is reasonable worship. Others say that it's simply a reliable worship. Well, if it's based upon God's word, it is a reliable standard by which we can worship. I would say it very simply, this here just makes some sense. Now, mankind looked at this and said, now, wait a minute. If I've got to give myself up, and by this, we, we could be talking physically, but, but more or less, we're talking spiritually. We're talking giving up our will. We're talking about giving up our wants and our desires and our dreams and our hopes so far as material and, and financial things go, so far as my emotional state can go at times. I'm giving all that up. Why? Because I want to give it to God. I want to give God all of my attention. Uh, many in, in our world, they look to those types of standards and they say, that's not reasonable. Why should I give up everything to serve God? Ever since the day 
I became a Christian, I had been able to do everything I wanted to do. You know, some people accuse, they say, well, you won't be able to do what you want to do if you obey the gospel and you try to serve God. I can do everything I want to do as long as my wants are the same as God wants. And if they're not, I fix my wanter. My desires have to be in line with God. My sacrifice has to be presented to Him. There's much more to say, but we won't. Number one, in order to meet the expectation of God's, there needs to be a sacrificial presentation. Number two, not only a sacrificial presentation, the next verse goes on and says, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by, that is, in the way of, by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, there's the same word, good, acceptable, and perfect, complete word or will of God. What is that? Well, I would say in the second place, we have to also have a spiritual transformation. I'm just using the word right out of the text. Be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. It's not enough for someone to say, well, I've become a Christian, and I'll tell you what Christians do. Christians wear suits and ties on Sunday. And I'm not saying that they do. I'm making an example. So if I've got myself a fine suit and tie or a nice Sunday dress with some Sunday slicks on, then I have become a Christian. I have transformed. You see, I didn't used to dress that way. I didn't used to have that kind. That's not it at all. Someone says, well, I'm acting a lot better than I used to act. I pray that you are. But that's not it at all. It's about a transformation of the mind. I want to subdivide this. You know I subdivide everything. When you think of this spiritual transformation, I first of all want you to notice in this that it is, in that sense, it, there has to be a removal. You say, wait a minute, that's not necessarily here. You won't prove that out of these words. Friends, you have to move things out, of some, out sometimes to move things in. I've got an outbuilding behind my house. When I built that thing, it was the perfect size. It was just what I needed. Had floor space, I could have an office there, I could do some woodwork there, I could do all of that. Well, as we have gathered together new clothes, or new furniture, or new whatever, my building is no longer in that condition. You can't get in the door. Now, I'm not talking about stacking up material things, that's not our subject. But I'm telling you, if I want to renew that outbuilding to make it what I wanted it to be, I'm going to have to remove some of the things that are in it. Friends, I cannot live for God spiritually and be transformed is what we're talking about. I can't live for God spiritually if in the, my mind, the whole half of my mind and my conscience, there are all these corrupted things, all these former things, all these sinful things, that's what they really are, just remaining therein. Time and time again, the Scriptures talk about putting off the old man to put on the new man. Why is that? It does no good to put clothes on top of clothes on top of clothes. You take that, that physical example. You let a man, and we're just talking human and plain here. You let a man wear the same clothes for six months. He can put on a brand new set on top of that, and he still smells the same. Right? In God's eyes, we can still stink, if you will, if that's the perspective. We still stink to Him if we've not taken off what He's required of us. If we've not removed, if you will, taken out of the way the things that have corrupted us. 
So when he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, then he drops down and says, be not conformed, poured in the world's mold, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. He first of all calls for a removal because then he moves to a renewal. It's not re renewing your look. It's not renewing necessarily your life. It's about renewing your heart, your mind. Friends, children of God ought to, in the beginning of everything, think differently from anyone else. Our rationale, the way that we consider certain things, the way that we deal with certain things, the way that we uh, involve ourselves in certain things ought to be completely different than what it has been in the past because God's standard is different. You think about what's supposed to happen, Romans chapter 6, after baptism, for example. We're to go into that grave of baptism. We come up and we walk in, next word, newness of life. As James Rogers, my friend and yours, would say, in newness of life. And it means brand spanking new. Friends, new people do new things. They follow after new ways. And God says to us here, He expects, I need you to renew your mind. Take what was once conformed to the world, don't be a part of that, and renew or transform your mind, the transformation. Now the word transformation here, as I'm reading into the King James, is backed up by an original word, inspired of God in the Greek language, particularly for the New Testament, and it is a word metamufo or something of that sort. How do you say it? It's where we get our English word metamorphosis, and it's such as the process that you see a caterpillar going through in that cocoon as they come out to be a butterfly. We have several caterpillars around our house certain times a year, and a couple years ago Cameron was kind of a connoisseur of raising caterpillars. So we had the opportunity of seeing that happening inside of an aquarium. We had the opportunity of seeing those butterflies come out. Guess what? The butterfly was on the inside all the while. But it needed to be changed. And let me say this. If there is a butterfly in that caterpillar, you will one day see it. If the mind of Christ is in his people as it ought to be. It will one day be seen. Friends, we cannot live the life of a Christian incognito or undercover and think we're living a life. I can't step back and say, well, you know what? I, I'm going to be transformed in my mind, but nobody might notice. They will notice. And they will take notice, believe it or not. In Acts chapter 2, when all those people were baptized, those 3,000 souls, you get down to verse 41, you go down to verse 47, it says praising God and having favor with all the people. What does that mean? The people around them saw the change in their lives, the transformation, the metamorphosis. We have removal. We have a renewal, but that's not all the Scripture says. Verse 2 says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by, or through the means of, the renewing of your mind. Why is that? This is the representation that you may prove what is that good, that's one, acceptable, that's two, and that perfect or complete will of God. That's what has to be represented. 
What people see, and I'm bleeding right into this, what people see, what they uh, ha have before their eyes when they see a faithful child of God's walking is different and should be different than what they see out of anyone else. Being religious won't do it. There are a lot of religious people who are lost. Being moral will not do it. I respect morality. Being spiritual will. So long as your spirit aligns with God's spirit and we gain his knowledge from his spiritual word, there has to be a representation. You say, no, what about that then? Is it true that, that that is the way we ought to live? Yes, it's true. As a matter of fact, verse 3 goes in and kind of adds to the point. It says this, For I say through the grace of God given unto me that every man that is among you not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly according to God hath dealt with every man of the measure of faith. You say, Jim, where do you get this idea that God expects us? It's here in verse 3. This whole context revolves around verse 3 in my mind. We, we know more about verses 1 and 2, but verse 3 says plainly to me as I read across it that yes, we have to have higher expectations, but those expectations need to be after the grace of God and they need to be after God's way of seeing us. Who we are is never represented honestly in a mirror if that mirror be made of glass and as it were of old silver coating. But as we know from the book of James that we've already studied who we are according to God's mirror, that perfect law of liberty, the law, the royal law, the law of the king, that representation is clear. And we're really being warned here. Yes, you need to have the expectations that God does. You need to bring yourself to a point of having a sacrificial presentation. You need to bring yourself to the point of being involved in a spiritual transformation. But when you do that and when you see yourself conforming to the will of God, being transformed to it, don't get too haughty. Don't think too highly. See yourself through God's eyes. If you've ever taken time to really do that, I'm sure that many of you have, most of you at some point, but if you'll take your time to see yourself through God's eyes, it's an humbling experience. But what else is here? God's expectations do include, they do include these two things, but they include another. They also include a, if you will, satisfying association. Yes, yes, oh certainly. Yes, there, there are sacrificial presentations. There are spiritual transformations. But then, and, and in the midst of that, really, there has to be a satisfying association. Now, I declaim, uh, make a disclaimer about the word satisfying. It's what satisfies God, not what satisfies man. You know, we fulfill our associations, to use that word, sometimes with our friends and with our families and with our recreation, with our clubs and our civic groups or whatever we might be involved in. There's an association there. 
But the association that we're reading about and we're about to read about here in verse 4 says is this. For we as many members in one body and all members have not the same office. I'll come back to that. For we being many are in one body in Christ and every one members of another. Number one, there has to be a gathering. Association in the context here implies a gathering together. He said we're all members and we're members one of another. And I can't do my arms right, I'll do my hands. I thought I could do something with that. We're, we're tied together. We sing sometimes, blessed be the tide that binds. That's right. The tide is the love of God and His plan. There has to be a gathering. Now, as a side note, he says here, they, we're all but one body, but not of the same office. What does that mean? Well, it's already going to imply, and we haven't even read yet, there are going to be some offices. There are going to be, and what we'll find out is, there are some gifts here. But everyone's office slash gift is not the same, friends. You have elders in this congregation, I know that. You have deacons in this congregation, I know that. You have Bible class teachers, I know that. You have um, people who cook and help and serve others, I know that. You have talented song leaders, you could go on and on and name. On the side of the males and the females, talents, gifts, abilities, I know it. And they're not the same. And implied in that is this. If your talent is not to be an elder, don't eld. If it's not to be a teacher in that sense, and I'm not taking away from the Great Commission, don't teach. If you're not a cook, don't cook. But be sure that God has established and upset His church to where all those duties will be fulfilled if they are associated. Man, if I tried to do this house worship stuff that people are doing, and I mean the kind where they just say, well, I can sit at home and be holy. You can sit at home and be lost. Because how are you, sir, how are you, ma'am, going to be the preacher, the teacher, the elder, the Bible, the, the song leader, the uh, organizer of missions? How are you going to do that? You're not. We have here the gathering together because we do have the gifts. Let's just see those gifts. Here it is. It picks up in verse, well, the first one will be named in 6, but let's go through verse 5. And so we being many are of one body in Christ and every one members of another having gifts differing, key word, according to the grace that is given to us. By who? By God. Here's the one. Whether prophecy, number one, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. That is, God gives you the gift of prophecy. You prophesy, but just tell what he told you. 1 Peter 4, 11, If any man speak, let him speak as it were after the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability God giveth him. Whether it be a prophecy, prophesy. Verse 7, or ministry. That's number 2. Let him wait upon the ministry. Now, it's not a minister as far as if you want to say minister slash preacher. This is someone who serves. The word means to wait upon. It means to be a servant of. It means to uh, row that boat in the bottom of a slave ship. It means to raise that dust as if you were sweeping a house. Some are ministers. Or he that teacheth, number three, on teaching. He says if you've got the gift to teach, you need to teach. 
Verse 8. Or he that exhorteth. Wow, that's a gift too. On exhortation, lifting someone up. Or he that giveth. That's another gift. Let him give with simplicity. Now, I've, I've struggled over that word simplicity. I just want to add this in. What is to be simple about it is God gave it to you, he gets it back. That's simple. It's the idea and the picture is that a man doesn't dig in one pocket and see what he's got and then dig in the other and see what he's got and see which pocket is a little lighter and that's the one God gets. That's not the picture here. It's the opposite of that. He simply reaches for what God gave him and simply gives it back. That's a gift. And if there's a spiritual gift lacking in the church, it may be that one. We can't finance the work sometimes, and I'm just talking physically here. We can't finance the work of prophecy and teaching and ministry. We don't have the, the gift being used of giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 expands upon that. In chapter 8 he says it's the grace of giving. God gives us the grace to give. But next. Or do it with simplicity for he that ruleth. That's another gift. With diligence. Or he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. All those gifts. I, I, I count seven there. Seven and all of them have somewhat of a brief description behind them. You say, well, we have the gathering. That's the body. We have the gifts. Yes, I can see that. What are the goals, though? The goals are to go to glory. You say, go to heaven? No. Give the glory. If I were a prophet in the miraculous sense, and I'm not, you, you know that, you know better than that. If I were a prophet in the miraculous sense, I'd still have to give God the glory. If I were, and just moving down the list again, if I were a, a, a minister in a miraculous sense, I'd still have to do it according to God. If I were, if I were in all, all these, it would still, the glory would still have to go to God. But you say, well, preacher, are these miraculous? Perhaps they could have been in the first century. They're no longer. But I'll say this. The fact that something is no longer miraculous does not void it from being true. Let me draw you a picture. You have the gathering. You have the gifts. Here's the goal. And by what, by what, I, what I mean by that is here's how it looks. Fellowship meal next Sunday. There will be many things back here. There will probably be some kind of chocolate cake. Brother Tom Music picks up a piece of chocolate cake. And he's making his way back to the table. He's about to eat it. You say, well, that's highly likely. Could be. If not him, David Bowers has got two or three. He took a shot so he could eat them, right? Brother Tom or David, they get their chocolate cake and they're making their way back to the table and they drop it. Someone in the church is a prophet. And they'll say, I knew you was going to do that. Someone in the church is a minister. He's going to come over there or she is going to say, let me get that up for you. Let me serve you. Someone in the church is, in, in that case, is a teacher. You know, you would not have dropped that if you had put it on the center of the plate. Someone in the church is a giver. You know, I just got a piece of cake I hadn't touched. You can have it. Someone in the church is one who's going to rule over them well. He's standing there and says, you know what? I appreciate you cleaning that up. And when you finish, sister so-and-so spilt her tea. Someone in the church has mercy. 
And they say, you poor fella. How can anybody go without chocolate cake? He said, that's silly. Friends, those gifts have to be put together or else you've got chocolate cake everywhere and hungry people. We've got the chocolate cake, which is just the, the goodness and the, the fluff of this world scattered all over our communities, and we don't have enough people with the will about them to step in and feed those people what they really need. And give God the glory. Friends, I pray that I would never expect more of you than you deserve. I certainly pray that, that you think of me that way. But when you consider what God expects of us, He expects more than we may know. Question. Have you committed yourself already to the sacrificial presentation? Have you given your life for God? You should. You know you do that through obedience, through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. You're turning your life over to God right then. You're giving yourself up as a sacrifice to God in an answer to His sacrifice. By the same measure, just to think about what we've said, have you set yourself into order to having a spiritual transformation? Is your heart different than it once was? If not, why not? And are you a part of the satisfying association of the Lord's church? And that implies participation, activity, as well as that association. Are you doing what the Lord requires? You may fall in any or all of those categories. I certainly would and have at times, but... The question of this moment, this hour is, why are you not all in on all that? God expects it. If you're here this morning, you're not a child of God's. We beg your obedience through His plan and His pattern. If you're here this morning, you are a child of God and you fall short. It's through His word we know His will to do His work. Why not join in again today? Do it through prayer and repentance before it's everlastingly too late. And even now while we stand and as we sing.